China has a Chinese pharmacopoeia, U.S. pharmacopoeia, we have European pharmacopoeia, we have different pharmacopoeias of the world. Africa needs to have their own pharmacopoeia based on our own traditional medicine, our traditional methods of administrating drugs. Hello and welcome to the Experience Pod. The Experience Pod is a one-on-one interviewer-led podcast that discusses the adoption and utilization of relevant emerging technologies and trends for impact-oriented professionals, researchers, developers, and students who demand realistic and thought-provoking perspectives on the opportunities and challenges presented by these phenomena in our unique environment. My name is Dr. Damola Oladosu. I work here at the PwC Experience Center on the Disruption Team. Today, our discussions are focused on how players across the healthcare value chain are leveraging technology to improve this sector. We'll be digging deeper into the environment, business, and technology challenges faced by these players. We hope to understand the opportunities in this $16 billion market that can be exploited by startups, investors, and other interested stakeholders. On this episode, we'll be speaking with Kingsley Udoakpan, who is the head of English-speaking Sub-Saharan Africa Global Research and Applied Solutions at Merck, which is a multinational pharmaceutical and life science company. We'll be exploring the current state of Big Pharma, Merck's participation within the healthcare value chain in Nigeria, and modern innovation in drug discovery. Welcome, Kingsley. Thank you. Okay, so we'll get right into it. Globally, pharma companies have spun off their consumer businesses and are now increasing their investments and focus on life sciences. The question is, why were big pharma even interested in consumer businesses in the first place? Okay, so we were interested in the consumer healthcare business in order to gain, I believe, to gain mileage and also to get that footprint in the pharmaceutical landscape. A lot of people consume vitamins. So we see pharmaceutical companies leveraging on this to gain mileage on their brand and people getting to know what they do. But then as the age evolved, we now discovered that this is really a a low margin business for most of the multinationals. So I believe that's the major reason why most of these pharmaceutical companies are spinning off um, their consumer healthcare division to embrace more innovative portfolio, uh, more blockbuster products like cancer therapies and maybe fertility products. So what I'm hearing is what really drove that interest in consumer businesses was really consumer demand and consumer patterns. So if we're to look in the future now from a Darwinian view and really think about natural selection and evolution and maybe survival of the fittest, the question is how do you think big pharma will be redefined by I guess like future trends like cheap drug alternatives or patent expirations, more consumer-led decision-making and tighter regulations on drug approvals. So I believe cash is king and and the age of competition is over, in my opinion. So when the value of a product falls below what you stand for, I think it's time to sell it or um, get emotionally detached from it. And and competition, I believe, is a term um, created for those companies that have not been able to demonstrate value for what they do and represent. So in this case, you can see even Merck is collaborating with other pharmaceutical companies like Pfizer to innovate and, and, and develop new products to solve really the teething problems facing the healthcare sector. So having said this, companies like Merck will focus um, on more innovative portfolios. Okay, so 
you think that there'll be more collaboration either with bigger guys or smaller guys who do you think would win in this collaborative game though like who wins at the end the most innovative will win right so isn't that still some form of competition i i see it more of as um, more of collaboration than competition because companies have innovative products along certain value chains so the other company completes the other value chain for example some companies have more innovative r&d pipelines some have more innovative and really experienced channels for marketing those products mm-hmm. so i see this as a collaboration so like model. a co-opetition because would you be going to market as two different companies or would you go as like yeah same 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 um, two different companies mm-hmm. um from what we see in the in the market you still go to the market as two different companies mm-hmm. so it doesn't change it doesn't affect your individuality as a brand mm-hmm. um, okay so let's bring it back home right so the farmer market in Nigeria today is estimated at about 700 million dollars so in your own view how would you describe the current healthcare market in Nigeria and how is Merck adapting to this market? And in your perspective, is there any hope for growth um, in the healthcare market in Nigeria? So the current market in the healthcare market is, we observe that it's really tough to play in this space. It's a big market only because we have 200 million people here. Um, what we need to ask ourselves fundamental questions is what is the effective market? How much middle class do we have? Are we really serving 200 million or can we look at talking about the middle class alone, maybe 30 million people? This would be the effective market in my opinion. This is still a challenge um, for us because not many people are buying classical pharma, are treating themselves the classical pharma way, right? Buying drugs to address their concerns or the issues they are having health-wise. Okay, some resort to different methods, including prayer. Some go for herbs, mm. okay, using leaves mm-hmm. that they believe that can cure certain ailments. Mm-hmm. So I'll talk about that later. We also observe that funding is a major issue because I'm speaking from a life science perspective. A country that no single pharmaceutical company has an effective R&D lab for developing unique products that addresses unique African issues then we have a problem. So if we don't have this R&D integrated into the pharma value chain in Nigeria, then it's not challenging enough. So in your perspective, is there any hope for growth in this market? What's your view on that? For... Or what would drive growth? What kinds of things would need to be in place for there to be growth? To drive growth, the spirit of innovation has to be there. That means we have to learn to manufacture our pharmaceutical products locally. Mm. We see the style of made abroad but marketed in Nigeria. So if we have to manufacture locally in order to really um, trigger that growth that we anticipate for the future. I have a question. I'm just linking back to this idea of effective market or total market size. Technically, all 200 million people in Nigeria can be sick, right? Mm -hmm. Technically, there can be a market of 200 million people. What are the biggest barriers, would you say, um, in terms of converting people that are not in your effective market Mm -hmm. to users of pharma products? What would be the biggest barriers for that? The biggest barrier is still regulation because we have to shape the healthcare landscape 
and we depend on um, governments to shape the healthcare landscape, especially looking at the health insurance, what's the coverage that we have today in Nigeria is still very weak. Not many people have a healthcare plan. When people do have healthcare plans for their families, then we can really talk about getting a coverage up up, or expanding the market size up to about 70%. So health insurance, anything else? Health insurance, local manufacturing, and thirdly, also having a robust infrastructure that would drive um, the costs of manufacturing lower. Mm. Okay. So you touched a bit on how there is limited R&D in Nigeria already. Mm. Can you talk a bit more about what you've observed in terms of research in this industry Mm -hmm. and maybe some specific things that need to be in place if we're going to drive R&D in Nigeria? Okay. Thank you very much for that question. If you look at um, the global companies that really are strong in pharmaceutical or healthcare business, these guys are investing at least 10% of their turnover in R&D. Okay, so look at the companies we have in Nigeria or those manufacturing in Nigeria. How much are they investing in R&D? So R&D is pivotal to creating an innovative economy, especially science and technology. So if we don't have these R&D activities in place, then we have a big problem. Secondly, there's that missing link and connection between the pharma manufacturing and the universities. So we have a lot of students churning out projects, scientific projects, both at master's, PhD, and even at undergraduate level, how many of these projects are implemented or scaled to another level. So this is where we need to start from to trigger the discussion. And of course, the big challenge always is funding, okay? Funding because we always depend on the government budget to fund our activities. But with a single issue like the coronavirus issue now, the government has to reprioritize immediately. So they have to reallocate mm-hmm. the budget immediately to handle a healthcare issue. That means additional maybe one or two percent lost to mm-hmm. funding of R and D activities mm-hmm. in the universities and, and, and government sector. I think globally Funding for science is a major issue, right? What are some of the innovative things that people in other climes are doing right that we are that we don't seem to be getting? What kinds of innovative funded sources are being, I guess, like utilized outside Nigeria that maybe we can leverage here? Okay. I mean, I still go back to the same topic. Big economies that have been able to launch innovative products that have been of value addition to the world at large. You, you see that strong link between the university and the industry. University of Helsinki in, in Finland, they have their innovation hub. Kaust University in Saudi Arabia, they have an innovation hub that, that clearly links what happens in the university to, to the private sector. So products are launched from the university and it becomes blockbuster selling products all over the world. So this is where we need to change the narrative in Africa, especially in Nigeria. So we need the um, University of Ibadan, University of Lagos, University of Benin, all the premier top universities in Nigeria, they need to really connect with the industry. And you see these guys also have a very robust innovation fund, innovation fund, an endowment fund, if you want to call it that way. Like mm-hmm. King Abdullah University in Saudi Arabia, these guys have 20 billion as, mm-hmm. uh, as fund for mm-hmm. research and development. Mm-hmm. How many universities in Nigeria can boost up $1 million <laughs> as an innovation fund? 
So endowment funds are exactly, like a... exactly. We need to bring the Dangotes to invest in R and D. We need to bring the Otedolas, um, the big guys in the industry, um, to to invest in R and D in these downstream activities. Who should do, do the pushing? So should it be a push or a pull? In, I'm just thinking in terms of like who should be the person or the party driving this. So should it be academia going to say, listen, we need funding, or should it be the guys in private sectors? coming to say, here is funding. Okay. So, um, I mean, if we depend on the private sector to call upon the public, uh, the public sector to initiate this partnership, then we'll do it for another 10 years. If we also depend on the public sector to call upon the private sector to, to initiate that handshake, we will also wait for another maybe 25 years. So it's a matter of trust. We have to most probably depend on government as the middleman to facilitate this discussion and set clear regulatory framework on how this partnership can work. I guess Nigerian government takes 1% as education tax, as far as I know, maybe mm. I'm wrong, but mm. if we also can talk about how we can maybe locate a certain um, percentage of mm. this will be a game changer for economy. Mm. Interesting. So globally, we're seeing the rise of what's called frugal science, where people are developing things like paper microscopes, the 20 cent centrifuge to spot malaria parasites in blood. So in a low income environment like Nigeria, should big pharma really be thinking about developing more frugal tools or will that change the incentives of your kind of business, which is obviously very profit driven. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, interesting question. Personally, I, I don't believe in frugal science. Ooh, okay. I don't also believe in ostentatious science, and the solution doesn't lie in the middle either. Okay. Okay, so I live in the suburban part of Lagos, and I did that intentionally to basically understand um, what people go through every day in order to strike a balance between life and death or between living and surviving. Mm. And you see people develop solutions in order to survive. Mm. For example, I don't know if you've heard of Abu, what people yeah. take. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> the herbal so, drink. Exactly, the herbal drink. So if you want to develop something, um, maybe frugal science, you go for something very basic. Let's say, let's just get them a paracetamol. This is what they need, right? Mm. Or let's buy them something very expensive that can maybe stay in their body for long to help them resolve this issue. But then, like I said earlier, the solution doesn't lie in the middle, neither in frugal or ostentation science. But then, I think of we have to develop unique solutions that is peculiar, that will address our problems or the issues that we have. Can't we scientists look at this Agbo drink? Can't we just set clear experimental methods on how we can even measure the APIs mm -hmm. in this sample? The APIs being the active pharmaceutical ingredient. Because truth be told, these things work. That's why people patronize it, mm -hmm. right? So we have to check what is the content of these signs that people apply to solve their problems? Mm. Can we now set a clear tool that measures the content of what people take so that we can adopt this as our innovative medicine? Mm. China has a Chinese pharmacopoeia, US pharmacopoeia, we have European pharmacopoeia, we have different pharmacopoeias of the world. Africa needs to have their own pharmacopoeia based on our own traditional medicine, our traditional methods of administrating drugs. So you're saying that the reason you don't really agree with frugal science is because it's not specific to the market? Yeah. 
Okay. It's just an ad hoc tool that maybe someone develops because of maybe the infrastructure is weak mm-hmm. or the purchasing power is low. So you just develop a tool that addresses that concern. But does that solve the problem? No. But infrastructure is weak in it's Nigeria. Weak. So don't you see applications for things like these 20 cent centrifuges? Yeah, it should be there. I agree. But then this is not the long term solution. Okay. This okay. is not the long term solution because African science needs to evolve. If you take us back 30, 30 years behind civilization, then hmm. it will not drive our development to the next level. Interesting. So if we talk about counterfeit drugs and their prevalence in the Nigerian market, one of the reasons that they are supposedly so prevalent is because buying original medicines are kind of expensive, right? And so these counterfeit drugs are still quite prevalent in our market. Mm -hmm. So how has that affected your business today? And what are you doing to bring, what is Merck doing to bring consumer awareness on this issue Mm -hmm. of counterfeit drugs? This is always on top of my heart because I know a number of lives that depend on what we do on a daily basis. Um, speaking for the life science or the laboratory business of Merck, based on my market analysis, we lose close to 500,000 euros every year wow. due to the activities of these counterfeiters. So if you go to Dumota Market, if you go to Nisha Headbridge, you see different kinds of laboratory chemicals in the name of Merck, in the name of Sigma Aldrich, in the name of the top players in the market. People bring in industrial-grade chemicals, rebottle them. The impurity profile cannot be determined, or even the purity profile itself. And they put in about 2.5-liter bottles and sell it to the laboratories to conduct their experiments or to even do quality control or quality assurance. Wow. This is a disaster. We are sitting on a ticking time bomb. And um, so what we do, what we're doing basically is that we are developing unique levels and we're also advising our customers. In the past, when I started in 2013, I used to make recommendations, but now I instruct (laughs) (laughs) because the lives we have, the lives are at stake. So we have to instruct our customers to follow the channel, our channel to the market and we also develop unique tools internally that customers like the 2D barcode system, we call it the M Safety app, my M Safety app. So you can actually download the M Safety app, scan the product and it would prompt and show you basically the statistic of analysis, show you the safety data sheets and other information about the product that you need to know. But then these guys are also smart, so they're also developing new labels. But then with this digital scanner, you are able to determine if the product is genuine or fake. How has adoption of that worked? Is it easy for your customers to adopt the use of this app and and new barcodes and things like that? Yeah, we just launched that last year. And I'm going to invest a lot of time in 2020 to spread the word and let customers download the app, scan it and use it. But then also remember that we also have a system whereby auditors will require customers to show a paper certificate of analysis. So we are also trying to see how we can talk to the regulators Mm -hmm. to accept electronic records or electronic certificate of analysis or safety data sheets. Oh, wow. Interesting. I think it's easier for your market because you're life sciences and you kind of have an idea of exactly how many customers you have. You have more of a control on the channels through which they can get your products. Mm -hmm. 
On the pharma side, however, where you know everybody's going to a chemist and it's difficult to tell who's legit, what kinds of things is Merck doing on that side to help the customer know whether the products that they're buying are, are genuine or not? Okay, so just to debunk the theory that it's easy on the life science, we don't have absolute control of that um, the supply chain mm. because, like I said earlier, people can import industrial-grade chemicals mm. for other applications and then rebottle them and sell it into the black market. We have limited control. This is the responsibility of the government, but then we can support um, government initiatives to control that and the counterfeiting of these products. But on the farmer side, we are also working very closely with NAFDAQ, the local FDA. We are supporting with mini labs okay. that they could use to test the integrity of these drugs, if they are counterfeit or not, if they have the actives in the drugs or not. Then we are also supporting with the mass authentication system. So where you can simply scratch and send a code to, okay. a, um, to a number, mm-hmm. then you can Tell get you. confirmation if the drug is genuine or fake. Okay. So you touched a bit on collaboration earlier in our conversation. Mm-hmm. In Nigeria, we have a, quite a few local startups that are focusing on either collecting data or like collecting longitudinal data that could improve job discovery and maybe to an extent personalized medicine. So for example, we have 54Gene, MDAS, MPharma, Helium Health. So is Merck currently in collaboration with any of these guys? And if not, should we expect to see any collaboration in the future? And what would the nature of these collaborations look like if you were to design them? So um, from the life science part, I see, um, for example, 54Gene as maybe a future partner for Merck. I mean, I like what these guys are doing. They're developing really unique signature for checking or unraveling the DNA of an African or a Nigerian, whichever. So... This is, for me, very a unique starting point for us because we can support them with the right tools they need to accurately profile. They have the expertise, we have the experience, and we have the tools. Mm. So this we can collaborate together and support them with the tools they need to further develop something unique for the world or even for Africa. Mm. So this would help also in drug discovery Mm. because we can now build our own unique products Mm. for the African race. Mm. This would be a game changer, I would say. Okay. Once you switch gears a bit and talk about technology. So on our last episode with uh, Stairs and Business Day, we discussed um, how technology is changing the way they work and who they hire, for example. So now in the future of work, we expect our team to consist not only of experts in our field, so like medical researchers, but also data science, machine learning engineers, etc. Are you seeing these changes within your organization and what does that current talent acquisition model look like for you? Globally, yes. We see fresh um, injection of talents within the Merck Group. So we are seeing more experts in AI, machine learning, data scientists, people that can unbundle big data and make meaning out of it. We are seeing these talents in our organization on a day, at least for the past three years, we see these new talents in the organization. So I feel they would ship them. They are shipping a lot of what we do to the AdMerk and, and this should be the way to go. And in Nigeria specifically, are we looking to incorporate um, any of these experts in, in our work, in our talent um, model here? 
Yeah, we take the support. We we are still a very young team um, because we are only a scientific office, so mm-hmm. we only provide technical support mm. to our customers um, at the moment. Mm. But then I think this is the way to go, mm. and we are also leveraging on the expertise of these colleagues that are sitting all over team. the world. Yeah, interesting. So it's been said that it may take 12 to 18 months to obtain a viable vaccine for the new coronavirus, which has taken over the world. Arguably, this is the fastest time it has taken to develop and approve a new vaccine. Is this selected just based on the urgency of the virus or are we going to expect faster discoveries in the future? And what types of technology advancements would you attribute these faster drug discoveries to? No one expected that the COVID-19 would spread all over the world like wildfire. What we <laughs> see today, I think the whole world is in panic mode, and so are the scientists. But then I think I must commend the, the efforts of WHO and even top pharmaceutical companies that have taken the bull by the horn. They've started already some activities. Having said this, when the DNA um, sequence of the virus was shared with the San Diego lab, I think, um, Innovio Pharmaceuticals, they came up with the DNA for the virus mm-hmm. um, that would act as a vaccine mm-hmm. for the virus within three hours. And this was only possible by AI, mm-hmm. by using their internal artificial intelligence mm-hmm. and machine learning tools to build the DNA that would address uh, the virus, the coronavirus. This is the future, I would say. So companies must constantly, consistently integrate AI into the activities, especially R&D. In the past, just like you said, it would take sometimes five to six years to have a vaccine. Yeah, we, I mean, we still don't have a vaccine for HIV many, many, many years later, yeah, right? <laughs> yeah, I mean, this is most of the issues we have is um, regulatory. Yeah. So you need approvals in order to, to, to launch your vaccine. Mm-hmm. So that's why... Now we have to see if it works on the models, on mm-hmm. the guinea pigs. Mm-hmm. And if it works and if it doesn't work, then we will look for alternatives. But then I think technology has really shortened the time to discovery. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. So when we think of other technologies like virtual reality, robotic process automation, 5G, we strongly believe that this could shape how research is being done. And we've kind of touched on that already. Is Merck leveraging any of these technologies currently? And could you name a few ways how you're leveraging these technologies? Yeah, so we we are currently leveraging technologies, especially artificial te- intelligence. We have developed um, a product called Chematica that is used actually for um, generating really a pathway, synthesis pathway to discovering um, their drugs or even to check how experiments work. Mm. For example, you, you may decide to test run on the model if acid can go with water or if water can go with X or if a sample, sample Y can go with sample Z. Mm. So you can already see how it works. It really saves tremendous cost of R&D. You don't need to buy a lot of chemicals, buy a lot of models in order to synthesize mm. um, a product. So this already gives so us artificial leverage. intelligence. Exactly. Are there any other technologies that you might, that you're leveraging? Maybe virtual reality, something like that? No? 
Not really in no. their life. Maybe in the pharma space, mm. I, I can only talk about the life sciences. Mm. We, I know we are developing or we have technologies for fertility okay. to help fertility companies or to help couples um, have children even at old age. So okay. we have different technologies there. Okay. We also have different technologies in the life science and thousands of technologies, I would say, still embedded on air drive from a life science business. Okay. So what's your perspective on software as a drug or what people are calling digital pills? So to what extent, in your opinion, would we see software purely replace or supplement therapies for diseases like type 2 diabetes, depression, PTSD? So these diseases are typically diseases that might be driven by behavioral changes. So to what extent do you see these digital pills replacing regular therapies? Yeah. Uh I mean, sometimes the evolution of technology and, and science and, and in the healthcare industry, impacting the healthcare industry can also be very scary. Mm-hmm. I would, on a personal note, caution or to ask the healthcare or the pharmaceutical companies to trade cautiously mm-hmm. with these digital pills. It's exciting. I would recommend people to use it only on maybe patients that have a long history of boycotting their mm-hmm. drugs mm-hmm. or not taking um, their medication seriously. Mm-hmm. I think we should really um, use this on this kind of patients. So use only as a last resort? Most probably. Why? Yeah, because just for the concern on privacy, because, mm-hmm. you know, these digital pills, depending on the nature of, of the same, it really, it tracks you, it tells, it, 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 it shows basically how your body responds at every step in the dosing cycle. Mm-hmm. So, and um, many people don't like that, mm-hmm. okay? Many people don't like that. This seems that someone is following them. Mm. Or, yeah. So this just this idea of privacy and yeah. I don't want Big Pharma to know everything that I'm doing. Exactly. exactly. Okay. So to cover other trends and technologies that we may not have talked about earlier, I'll draw on Merck's slogan, which is always curious. Mm. And that's that you're using curiosity to explore the uncharted terrain in science and technology. When it comes to the African healthcare market, what are you curious about and what terrain in science and technology remains uncharted within the African healthcare industry, in your opinion? Yeah, thanks. Uh, thanks for emphasizing um, one of the uh, biggest slogans I've come to live <laughs> with. So um, curiosity is, is what we do and live every day. And there are two major questions around curiosity. It's how and why this is really the question that it stimulates also it expands my empathy because um, i told you when i came to lagos i felt i I could solve every problem Mm -hmm. but then i discovered that i could only partner with people to help them solve their problems so this has also shaped me into who i've become today so the biggest question i ask myself is how can we from curiosity perspective how do we integrate the e-citizen or how can we effectively drive the electronic citizen to support regulatory activities in Nigeria or in Africa? Mm-hmm. I feel our market is still under-regulated. Mm-hmm. And I believe that instead of having more boots, more FDA on the ground, we can empower the citizens to track, record and share and products that they feel is unsafe, mm-hmm. whether they are safe or not, I believe it should be 
the responsibility of every citizen to each product you buy, you scan, you check, you report, scan. Just so as everyone a is kind of a regulator. Exactly. So everyone becomes that e-regulator that can. So NAVDAC, what NAVDAC does, or the local FDA or SON does, is to look at the database, look at the scans, the number of scans per, per region, and see the performance of each of the products and check if it's deteriorating in quality. So here you can actually implement a recall program mm. faster if mm-hmm. there are any issues. Mm, interesting. I like that idea of giving power exactly. to the citizens to be the this ones to regulate. Because I imagine that NAFTA can probably not hire enough people to go into every single no local government no in chance. Nigeria to to find out if they are counterfeit drugs mm. on the ground, especially like in rural areas. So mm. I like that idea. And from a laboratory perspective, I'm now talking about lives. Since 2014, I've visited over 300 labs in Nigeria. I still feel there's, we could do a lot in terms of laboratory automation yeah. and also deploying AI and cloud computing into laboratory management to better um, make sense of the results that you get in the laboratory on a daily basis mm. and also a kind of get results faster and more efficiently. Mm. Interesting. So we're going to move to the fun part, um, which is our compulsory Q&As. So speaking of predictions, what was the last prediction you got wrong? Okay, <laughs> so it is just a Liverpool, Liverpool Watford game. So I predicted already. I, I thought we we're gonna win, or worst case scenario draw. But to see Watford give Liverpool three zero, I mean, this was unbelievable. So I got it completely wrong. Wow. Okay. Completely so a football wrong. prediction. Yeah, football prediction. I mean, <laughs> yeah. Wow. Okay. What's one view you seem to find very few people agree on? A lot of people don't believe in the failure culture. Mm. So I'm a big fan of this culture because it raises a generation of people with a high tolerance and deep problem-solving abilities. And I believe this is something that would even shape how how science and technology is in Nigeria. Mm. So... The failure culture is something that I believe in. So this idea of test quickly, fail quickly and... Exactly. Fail, test, fail, test, fail as much as you can until you find the right solution. Why do you think people don't agree with that? Yeah, because we live in a performance-based world. Hmm. Okay, so people want to see um, quick returns on their investment. They miss a big part of the learning process. Hmm. Interesting. So our previous interviewees, Voke from Business Day and Tokubo from Stairs, have a question for you. Would you still be doing your job in 30 years or would you be replaced? So to take that a step further, would we still need a human CEO in life sciences, especially if we're moving to this world where many decisions are AI-driven? Hmm. Hmm. Yes, we will still need a CEO in 30 years. Would he be human? He would be human. Of course, because you need to understand that human shape, even shape the activities of these robots or um, AI machines, right? So it's garbage in, garbage out, okay? We can also trick the AI machine to predict the wrong things. So that's why we need human to constantly, constantly shape the world that we live in. 
So humans are the supercomputers. You really feel, you really think so? Yes, humans are just just by one single trait, empathy. Mm. We cannot teach the machine to empathize. Mm. The machine would only make an objective decision based on um, codes or or based on history or data that it has in its in its archive. But a human can make a more emotional decision, a more empathetic decision on deciding on where to go when there is crisis. I like that. We're supercomputers because we're empathetic. That's correct. I like that. So disruption is interrelated. In that respect, what's one perspective you'd like to get from our next interviewee? Maybe something around remote working, especially okay. in a city like Lagos. Okay. Maybe if your next interviewee is an indigenous CEO, a company based in Lagos, I'd like to get his perspective on, on empowering um, Lagosians or the employees in Lagos to work from home most of the days, especially on Mondays or Fridays, and then check the productivity. Okay, so thank you very much, Kingsley. Thank you for coming. Thank you for having me.